any other song announcements? No? Okay. I guess that's pretty simple then. Uh, I have just one which the board always asks me to do, which is to remind you that the way this group works, if you're part of this group, it functions by your support, uh, meaning that it, the word is Donna or generosity is how SFNs had its function for the last 27 years. Um, and so your generosity, your offering, your donation. So um, a number of years ago when I was studying with uh, Tanisaro Bhikkhu, he pointed me at something. He said, the Buddha recommended that the best question to ask, to bring to your practice, was all about skill. The best questions about your practice was all about skill. Is what you're doing skillful, or is it not skillful? And, and he was talking about practice and also life. Is what we're doing skillful or not skillful? And of course, ultimately, skillful and unskillful is pointing at what does it, it do that supports our awakening or our freedom or our liberation from suffering? Or what, do, what, what are we doing, whether in formal meditation practice or in life, that supports the freedom or the liberation or the awakening of others? And, um, and uh, the word that's used in Sanskrit is upaya, which is translated as skillful means. Right? And it can really refer to any activity, any skill, any experience that brings us or others to freedom. Whatever level of freedom it may be, it is skillful. Or does it inhibit or hinder our freedom or the freedom of others. And that's usually considered unskillful. <clears throat> and so I thought I would talk tonight about skillful means, which is not a, a topic that I have, I think that I give all the time, which many topics are very familiar to me, but skillful means, and what is that? What is that for all of us? And how do we live skillfully? And how do, we, how do we recognize being unskillful in what we might be doing, whether it's in our meditation practice or our dharma practice or in our life? And I was a little bit inspired by a call that I got uh, early this morning from my brother. And my brother, who's my eldest brother, and a really good guy, and he's practiced Buddhism for many years. And, uh, and he was upset. He actually, I got a text that said, call me, I'm having a problem. So, you know, I'm, I'm pretty good that way, getting back to people. They say they have a problem, especially if it's my brother. And, um, I wanted to see what was happening. And so I contacted him. And, he, and I realized, oh, he wanted some guidance. About he's having, he, he lives in a little house in upstate New York, and he was having something done. He had a contractor working on the house, and he was having a problem with the contractor. And so he wanted help. Like, how do I deal with this guy? And, uh, 
and so and he knows that I have work done on my house at some point many years ago, and I had a contractor I had a lot of problems with. And so he knew that, so he thought maybe I'd learn something about it. So, so I thought I would talk about skillfulness tonight, and I thought I'd give you a little more background about skillfulness and uh, in Buddhism, and then talk more specifically about being skillful in life and what that might mean. And um, in practice, of course, it's in meditation. Even what we did tonight, we started with mindfulness of the body. That's a considered a skillful means for beginning a meditation. Actually, taking refuge, which we did in Buddha Dharma Sangha, is also a skillful means. It orients the heart and mind to something beyond the usual sense of self. Right? I take refuge in Buddha, I take refuge in Dharma, I take refuge in Sangha, I take refuge in awakening, I take refuge in truth, I take refuge in the truth in my interconnectedness with all beings. So we're already taking refuge in something beyond the ego self, the, the small sense of self as it's talked about in Buddhism. Um, and so, and then another skillful means is beginning with the first foundation of mindfulness, right? Keep becoming embodied, not just being a mind, but being here fully so that we can land here in the aliveness that wishes to wake up, right? Because I'm assuming everybody at least would like to wake up, even if, you know, we don't think about it too much. Anybody not want to wake up? I just want to make sure I'm not assuming anything. Yeah. You know, because sometimes, who knows? And in Buddhism, skillfulness is talked about in different components of the practice very specifically. Like, what does it mean to be, like, right speech is about skillfulness, right? Right speech meaning speech that's truthful, that's appropriate, that's at the right time and place, that's not based on hearsay, that's not gossip, etc. That's considered skillful speech. And of course, you could do unskillful speech, which I'm sure nobody here has ever done, but, meaning we've all done unskillful speech, but we can start to become aware of what's skillful and what's unskillful. And, and also to start to be aware of why would we be unskillful? Why would we say things that aren't true or aren't real or aren't appropriate or aren't, aren't at the right time? Uh-oh. Yeah, no, well, this is what happens with the microphone. And so we're going to play with it. Wait, I'm going to try to play with it, Patrick. How's that? No? Which one? This one? Um, the one the same color as your microphone. This one. How about now? Oh, we're in trouble. There I go. There I go. There I, go. I have to hold it. It's not even plugged in yet. It's not even plugged. I'm going to push it in. Okay. Don't worry. We'll keep learning how to work this See, and this is true. This is, and if you don't know the word dukkha, this is dukkha, right? This means things don't always work the way we want them to work. So the skillfulness is how we relate to dukkha, 
right? Because dukkha reveals the causes of dukkha and then can lead to the end of dukkha. And those are the, those are the first three, the four noble truths. And so it's not a mistake that we didn't do this on purpose to teach you about dukkha. This just happened, because that's how life is. And now, what I was talking about was skillfulness in speech, right? And, and, and being aware of when we're unskillful, we'll see the causes and conditions of being unskillful. Why are we not being honest at any time? Or what, why are we gossiping at times? Right? Which I assume everybody here has gossip. Well, why are we talking about someone who there's no reason to talk about them? Because of something that's happening right here. Right? In my heart and mind. That's when I'm unskillful. That's what I can be aware of. Oh, I'm wanting something, or I'm not wanting something, or I'm needing something, or I'm not needing something, or I believe something good will happen if I say something that's not true, or not right, or not appropriate, or not needed, right, in some way. And of course, so right speech, right action, these are, you know, the eight, pre the eight um, precepts, not the eight precepts, uh, the Eightfold Path, excuse me, right? Right action is part of the Eightfold Path. And so, are we acting skillfully or are we not acting skillfully? And I, of course, I'm happy to admit my last of skillfulness when people are bad drivers. I'm very unskillful. Actually, I'm not too unskillful. But if you sit in the car with me, you think I'm very unskillful <laughs> what I say about those people who are bad drivers. And, uh, my nephew once said, wow, I think you, I always think you're so enlightened until I drive with you. <laughs> and it's true, I'm pretty, you know, I'm pretty relaxed about things until I realize people don't know how to drive at all here. And of course, you see the underlying belief that I think I know how to drive, because I was born in Detroit, raised in Detroit, we know how to drive in Detroit. <laughs> um, but, so right action, the right action is I actually don't aim my car at any of the cars that are driving so bad and hit them. Right? That would be wrong action right? or unskillful action. And actually, but really believing my mind would be the most unskillful action. Like I watch my mind and I have my reaction, but I also know it's just my reaction. I don't take it too seriously. I take it seriously for a moment, but not longer. Or right action, I mean, I'm thinking about other things, like one of my uh, actions, one of the actions that can be right or wrong is watching television, right? We can have a lot of ideas about television, it's good or it's bad, or it's should we should or we shouldn't. And I don't watch much, but I do watch the warriors when they're happening. And so I have a lot of enjoyment of watching them, pleasure, and disappointment also when they don't earn win, and also when they get injured. But I'm not unskillful about it. I'm not going out and saying I'm going to shoot the Toronto Raptors, or, you know, or do anything unskillful. Or even I don't throw cups at the house when the Warriors lose or anything. Um, but 
And so it's just a question of what's skillful and what's not skillful in whatever we do. And I'll talk more about that. I'm going to come back to my brother dealing with the contractor. Okay. And then, so really it's the same, right speech, right action. Really, in all relationships, what is right action? What is right speech? What is right relationship? I don't think that's on the Eightfold Path exactly, but it should be. Because, you know, how many people here have had relationships, right? Like everybody, we always have relationship. What does it mean to be in harmony with what it is to be in relationship? Like my brother, I talked to my brother for quite a while about his relationship with the contractor he was not happy with. And again, I'll come back to that. So, here's from the Buddha. He's talking to the monastic community at the time. He says, abandon what is unskillful. It is possible to abandon what is unskillful. If it were not possible I, to abandon what is unskillful, I would not say to you, abandon what is unskillful. But because it is possible to abandon what is unskillful, I say to you, abandon what is unskillful. If this abandoning of what is unskillful were conducive to harm and pain, I would not say to you, abandon what is unskillful. But because this abandoning of what is unskillful is conducive to benefit and pleasure, I say to you, abandon what is unskillful. So this is a Buddhist teaching, and you hear the repetition, who, who knows if he actually spoke like that, but it's how it got passed on, because remember, Buddhism was an oral tradition for the first hundreds of years, and so the repetition meant that you could remember what he said more easily, right? And he said, here, it's actually skillful. First of all, that we can abandon or let go or not be attached to what is unskillful. And that we have a choice as human beings. We have some freedom to let go, to give up, to be free of what is unskillful. And it's not out of judgment. He's not saying it out of judgment. He's not saying, oh, you're an idiot because you've been unskillful. You're a bad person. You've been unskillful. No, he says it leads, it, um, right, abandoning, uh, it does not, he says abandoning what is unskillful is conducive to benefit and pleasure. And so he's pointing at the dukkha that comes with being unskillful and the possibility of letting go of it and being free and finding the freedom of body, heart, and mind that's possible for us as human beings. Of course, he doesn't stop there. He continues. He says, develop what is skillful, practitioners. It is possible to develop what is skillful. If it were not possible to develop what is skillful, I would not ask you, I would not say to you, develop what is skillful. But because it is possible to develop what is skillful, I say to you, develop what is skillful. Because it is possible, because we can learn as human beings, because we can develop as human beings, because we can, in my language, grow up as human beings and start to see the difference between 
what's skillful and what's unskillful, what's helpful and what's unhelpful. And he continues, if this development of what is skillful were conducive to harm and pain, I would not say to you develop what is skillful. But because the development of what is skillful is conducive to benefit and pleasure, I say to you, develop what is skillful. And I, I would imagine, if you all reflect on it, that you've all learned how to do this in some way, shape, or form, because it's hard to live life at all without learning and then developing the, the, the positives of who and what we are with our minds and hearts and our bodies. The, the ability to be kind or to be caring or to be um, um, definitive at times or the ability to see what's true and act on it appropriately at times. That we all have learned some of this and that that's a really beautiful part of being a human being. And we can recognize that. And if any of you, some people here may have children, I mean, if you have children, that's what you're trying to teach children. I mean, it's, it, you know, I've been a father for a long time now, and it's always interesting to have seen, watch somebody grow up uh, and become a person. And really, personally, I'm happy with the person my daughter is because she's a good person and she learned uh, a couple things from her parents and I don't mean to take credit for her goodness, it wasn't just us, it was her, but, but that's what you hope, that's what you're guiding children to do is to be skillful and not be unskillful in how they live their life. Yeah, so I'll say one more thing about my daughter. My daughter's an actor and a successful actor. And what I've appreciated is to watch, the, watch her use some of the power of her success to um, not just get more success. She likes to act and likes to work. But I've watched, I've watched her use it to be political in, this, in the last number of years in a very strong way that surprised me and that I'm very happy that that's important to her. And she cares about what's happening not just in her career but in the world and she's responding to it using her little bit of power that she has in her world. And so, uh, and so my brother called this morning and, and it was funny because earlier I said to my wife, I said, oh, I'm going to go out for a walk. And she wanted to know if, if I wanted to walk with her and the dog. And I'm like, no, I don't want to be with you and the dog. <laughs> um, meaning I love her and the dog. But, but I said, I, I'm not clear on what I want to talk about yet tonight. And I'll be clear when I, if I take a walk by myself early in the morning. And so I went and uh, took a walk. And then I got, while I'm walking, I get the call from my brother. And instead of telling me what happened, I thought, oh yeah, this is what I'll talk about tonight. So I appreciate him helping me with my talk. Um, so he said, how, how, you know, what to do with the contractor? And my brother was upset, right? He was not calm about this. He was angry. He was pissed off. 
the guy did, and he starts telling me what the guy did. The guy did this, he didn't do that, he said he was going to do this, but then he did that, and then he did this, and he didn't even ask me about could he do this, and could he, he putting in some windows, and instead of him putting them in like this, he put them in like this. And, you know, and, and then my, and I said, oh yeah, that's something. He said, man, that's not even too bad. I'm actually liking it this way. But, but, but what he said was, but he didn't ask me, I don't know what he's going to do next. I'm not happy. I don't feel like I know what I'm paying for or what he's going to do. And he said he would do this. But, and I said, okay, well, you're having a reaction to this guy. And he said, you bet I'm having a reaction. I said, well, you sound angry. He said, you bet I'm angry. I said, well, good, feel the anger. Be angry, but don't just believe the anger. You need to find yourself in the anger. Don't just be enchanted with the anger. Find yourself in the presence of the energy that we call anger. That's the key. And so, and I, he knows enough about practice. I said, first of all, you don't sound very embodied. He said, um, no, I'm pissed off and I'm not He did this, da 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 da. And so I said, well, feel your body right now while you're angry. He said, yeah, my body feels hot, I'm pissed. I said, great, feel the heat. Stay present in the direct experience of what's here, because that's where the freedom is. The freedom isn't somewhere else. The freedom is right where you're sitting. And so, and even with anger, which is like supposed to be a bad thing, anger is only bad if it's unskilled, if it's, we act on it like it's the truth. And so he wasn't acting on it with this guy yet. And so I kept having him talk about his upset and his reaction and then his scrambling. He's scrambling to try to figure out how to deal with this guy. And I said, well, what happens if you quit scrambling and just get here first? And so slowly, slowly, slowly he started to relax a little. And I could hear him, I could just hear the change in tone in his voice. And then, oh, he's more here. And so I said, now what? What do you want from this guy? And he said, I want this guy to listen to me. And then he described the man. And so my brother lives in upstate New York, an hour or something out of New York, an hour and a half. And, and I'm hearing him describe this guy, and I'm like, oh, this guy's a total New Yorker. What's the problem? Meaning the guy is like loud and bossy, and every time my brother tries to stay stuck, say things to him, the guy cuts in and cuts him off and tells him what he, what's true, what's right, blah, 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 blah. I said, oh, he's a New Yorker. My brother lived in New York City for years. I said, you know, I assume over these many years that you've been alive, you've dealt with people like this before. And he said, uh, yeah, of course I have. He said, well, has it ever, have you ever not been able to deal with somebody like that? He said, well, no, but I'm getting old and I'm tired and I don't want to fight with him. And I said, well, don't fight with him. Stay present in yourself and respond to him and be very direct with him and see what happens if you don't have to engage with him in the kind of New Yorkish battle that this guy is very used to relating with. 
And that's very common in New York. Right? What the fuck are you talking about? You shut up. Here's what's going on. I'm going to do this. Da, 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 da. And then the other person said, no, 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 no. You don't have it right at all. You're full of shit anyways. Now listen to me. Da, 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 da. You know, I lived in New York a few years, so I got a little of that. And, and really what I'm saying is, what I was saying to my brother is, could he stay present with himself and not get drawn into this other person's um, itinerary of how to relate? And, and, he, and he started to listen, and slowly he started to say, okay, I can do that. And I said, yeah. I said, well, what do you want to tell him? Well, I want to tell him that I, I, don't, I want... He, the main thing my brother wanted, he wanted to be heard by the guy. I said, well, tell him that. Say, say to the guy, listen, I'm going to talk to you, but only if you don't interrupt. And if you interrupt, then I'm not going to talk to you. And of course, I, we'd already, um, this is, I forgot to tell you this, I'd already said to the, my brother, if the guy's really giving you a problem, you should talk to a lawyer and see what the parameters of your legal uh, weight is our something like that. What what your legality is, so that you can you may have to because my brother owes this guy some money. Maybe you won't pay him if he doesn't do what he said he was going to do, right? And so and so I said that, and then I said, could could you say to him just that, like don't interrupt me, otherwise I'm not going to speak to you. And he said, I could say that. So I said, okay, let's give that a try and then call me, you know, and let's see what happens. But don't get drawn into fighting with him about it. Just be very clear, say what's true, be skillful about it. Don't attack him. That was the main thing I said, because this guy's used to fighting. And you don't want to get in a fight with this guy. You just want to be clear and direct and you want to work with the guy, because that's what my brother wanted. He wanted to work with him. He said he's pretty good, and da 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 you know. So, so some, of the, um, some of the components that support skillfulness is supported by being present, and a kind of presence that arises when we're here and we're mindful. We're not in our, just in our ideas and beliefs and imaginings. We're actually an embodied mindfulness. That there's a presence of mindfulness here that's aware of what's happening inter internally and externally and both internally and externally so we can respond to that. It's, it's something I keep mentioning lately because it's, uh, it's under-mentioned even by me. Um, in the Buddhist teachings, in all the four foundations of mindfulness, you're aware of what's happening internally, and then you're also aware of what's happening externally, and both internally and externally. And that's part of being fully mindful of body, heart, and mind. And so I was really encouraging this for my brother, that he start to have a more embodied presence in dealing with this person. Because if my brother was there, and this is of course true for any of us, if we're really here, then we have all our skills at, at our use to respond to reality. We have our intelligence, we have our heartfulness, we have our groundedness and our centeredness 
to respond, and we also have our creativity to respond to anybody or anything. And the access to ourselves, our intelligence, or our, our, uh, our power also includes not being bound to our reactions. Like I wasn't telling my brother to stop reacting to the guy. I've said, you can have your reactions, but don't believe your reactions. You're just having a reaction. You don't like the guy. You think he should do this, he should do that. You know, which, like, we all have those kind of reactions. But if we're aware of them, if there's some equipoise in the awareness, then we can be aware of our reaction instead of bound to our reaction, instead of uh, confected to our reaction. And so the other piece that I'm pointing at when I say equipoise, it's another way that equanimity is pointed at, especially by the Venerable Amelio. He likes to use that word, equipoise. Equanimity is a key support for how we live our lives. The more equanimous we are, the more we can fully respond to reality, to life, to each moment. And the Sanskrit word is upeksha, upeksha. Upa means over and iksha means to look, to look over. And I love that understanding of equanimity because it's like being at the top of the mountain and all of a sudden you see the whole terrain. Like when you're down in San Francisco, you can't see, you know, you see some buildings and streets and a few hills. And, but if you go up to Twin Peaks, I just went up to Twin Peaks, I haven't been up to Twin Peaks in years. And I went up to, oh, this is, you get to see actually even a better view. I got invited to a, a, a party, it was because of a donation we made to an organization called Oasis, it's about, uh, for immigrants uh, who are dealing with persecution. And Oasis uh, evidently gets some funding from Salesforce. So it's at the top of the Salesforce building. Like, that was a cool party. <laughs> Why was it cool? The view is incredible, right? All of a sudden you see over the whole thing, both bridges, Right? And, and, and you could just walk around and see the whole deal. And that's something that, that's a nice understanding of what it means to be equanimous. We see the whole picture, so we're not just attached to this side or that side or down there or up there or here, or, but actually we see the whole thing and we can respond to what's skillful and what's unskillful because we see the whole thing, right? It means uh, upeka itself is the ease that comes from seeing a bigger picture. Upeka is a Pali word for, for equanimity and the one that we use generally in the Theravada. It's also equanimity. Paradoxically, equanimity is one of the four Brahma-Viharas. And the Brahma-Viharas are the, uh, of the divine abodes. Brahma means God or, or divine. And uh, abode, uh, uh, Brahma-Vihara means abode. And that's loving-kindness, right? Or metta, 
and then compassion, karuna, or joy, mudita, or equanimity, upekka. And it's such an interesting component of the four Brahma Baharas, because the other four have a certain association with feelings, but upekka doesn't have the same association as a Brahma Bahara, right? Loving kindness, compassion, joy, everybody has some sense of that. But upekka is really the calmness, balance of heart and mind that sees the whole picture. And that's a beautiful understanding. This is from, uh, from uh, Nanapanakatera. He said, equanimity is the crown and culmination of the four, uh, the four sublime states, which is what he calls the Brahma Bharas. Equanimity is the crown and culmination of the four sublime states. But this should not be understood to mean that equanimity is a negation of love, compassion, or joy, or that it leaves them behind as inferior. Far from that, equanimity includes and pervades them fully, just as they fully pervade perfect equanimity. Mm. And so equanimity, meaning Having, and especially with my brother, that's what I was encouraging. Could he be a little equanimous about the situation, even though he had strong feelings about it? And can we be equanimous with whatever situation we're in, even when we have strong feelings? We see the feelings are just part of the whole picture, because when we're seeing from above, we see the whole show. And of course, I always appreciate the saying that happens mostly in 12-step groups. Um, God grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, courage to change the things I can, and wisdom to know the difference. Right? Very helpful understanding. And I, it's funny, I have an associative uh, quote from Eddie Helsum. Helsum. People, how many people don't know who Eddie Hellison is? Don't know. Most people don't. Okay, I didn't think so. She was a, a, a Dutch woman in the Netherlands who died in the Holocaust. But her writings during that time are just amazing. And she's total bodhisattva. And so I was looking at some of the things she said. And, so like, God grant me the serenity to accept things I cannot change, and the courage to change things I can, right? The wisdom to know the difference. She's, this isn't exactly the same, but she said, God grant me the great and mighty calm that pervades all nature. Grant me the great and mighty calm that pervades all nature. If it is your wish to let me suffer, then let it be one great all-consuming suffering, not the petty, not the thousand petty anxieties that can break a human being. I mean, that's, that's a really interesting wish, right? Okay, grant me the full suffering. Don't give me all this little crap <laughs> in Eugene's language. And she, and I'll read to you because you'll hear her, her equanimity is strong. Um, she says, if I have learned, and this she's writing while the, the World War II is happening, she's hiding out, 
right? And she's Jewish in, in uh, the Netherlands. And she says, if I have one duty in these times, it is to bear witness. I think I've learned to take it all in, to read life in one long stretch. Again, it's like overlooking the whole show. Right? And she can, yeah, I have a bunch of quotes from her. I won't read them all, but she, she says, the misery here is quite terrible, and yet, late at night, when the day has slunk away into the depths behind me, I often walk with spring in my step along the barbed wire. I assume this is while she's in the camps now. She was sent to Auschwitz. Right? The misery here is quite terrible, and yet, late at night, when the day has slunk away into the depths behind me, I often walk with a spring in my step along the barbed wire, and then time and again, it soars straight from my heart. I can't help it. That's just the way it is, like some elementary force, the feeling that life is glorious and magnificent, and that one day we shall be building a new world. Against every new outrage and every fresh horror, we shall put up one more piece of love and goodness, drawing strength from within ourselves. We may suffer, but we will not succumb. That's a radical practice she had, very powerful. She, again, her, her equanimity, she said, people sometimes say you must try to make the best of things. I find this such a feeble thing to say. Everything, everywhere, things are both very good and very bad at the same time. That's a radical understanding. It's true. Things are good and bad at the same time. Right? Everywhere things are both very good and very bad at the same time. The two are in balance. Everywhere and always. I, have ne I never have the feeling that I've got to make the best of things. Everything is fine just as it is. Every situation, however miserable, is complete in itself and contains the good as well as the bad. That's radical dharma, waking up practice, which can happen to anybody at any time. And I'll end the talk tonight with a quote from Nisargadat Maharaj, who I quote often here, and it's this quote you may have heard before, right? Wisdom tells me I am nothing. Love tells me I am everything. Between the two, my life flows. Wisdom tells me I am nothing. Um, uh, love tells me I am everything. Between the two, my life flows. And then I, because I found a quote from Sharon Salzberg, who's a friend and colleague and was one of my first teachers, Sharon Salzberg. Um, um, she's talking about it, she says, I am nothing does not mean there is a bleak wasteland within. It does not mean that with awareness, it does mean that with awareness we open to a clear, unimpeded space without center or periphery. Nothing separate. I'm going to say this again. 
I have nothing does not mean there is a bleak wasteland within. It does mean that with awareness, we open to a clear, unimpeded space without center or periphery, nothing separate. We are nothing, there is nothing at all to serve. Uh, if, if we are nothing, there is nothing at all to serve as a barrier to our boundless expression of love. Being nothing in this way, we are also inevitably everything. Everything does not mean self-aggrandizement, but a decisive recognition of our interconnectedness. We are not separate. Both the clear open space of nothing and the interconnectedness of everything awaken us to our true nature. This is the truth we can't contact when we meditate, a sense of unity beyond suffering. It is always present. We merely need, need, we merely need to be able to access it. From Sharon Salzberg. So those are a few thoughts about skillful means, being skillful, waking up. That's the ultimate goal of being skillful for us and for everyone. And I always like to hear your thoughts, your agreements, disagreements, questions, comments about what I've said. So we let the Dharma come alive in the whole room not just from me, but from all of us. So please, who would like to... Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.